Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Stay warm at the Horseshoe this season. Score an exclusive, officially licensed Ohio State scarf when you subscribe to the Columbus Dispatch. Get the planet's best Buckeye coverage, award-winning reporting, and one amazingly cozy scarf by subscribing at dispatch.com slash scarf. This promotion is licensed by the Ohio State University. Trademarks used with permission. Columbus is growing. Here at the Dispatch, we wanted to take a step back and look at what all this growth means. This program will explore the future of Columbus and Central Ohio. This is What's Next. Hello and welcome back to another episode of CBUS Next, where we are exploring the future of Columbus. We are looking 20 years out at development, at education, at healthcare, all over the next few months. Um, we appreciate you joining us. I am Michelle Everhart, the digital news editor at The Dispatch, and I am joined by um, quite the panel today. We have dispatch reporter Jim Weicker, dispatch reporter Mark Farinchek, and Amy Claben, who is the principal of Strategic Opportunities, and she's been involved in a affordable housing for over 30 years. So that gives you a little clue of what we're talking about today, which is affordable housing. Um, here are the facts about, about affordable housing here in Columbus. Uh, we are the nation's fifth hottest real estate market in June. A recent study showed there are more than 57,000 extremely low-income renters in Franklin County, but only about 21,000 rental units affordable to those households. 54,000 low-income households pay more than half of their income for housing. And the average cost for a two-bedroom apartment is expected to rise an additional 4.2% this year to $898 a month. Um, So let's talk about all of this. If you're a homeowner or a seller, don't you want to see your prices rise? What are some of the downsides? Well, um, downsides are as your home rises in value. Um, It makes it difficult for a lot of people who want to buy a house uh, to afford a house in certain neighborhoods. Um, We've seen huge increases in prices in places like Grandview Heights, um, Marion Village, uh, even neighborhoods in Worthington, certainly. Um, So if you are looking for houses in those areas, and there are people here and, and other friends who have been trying to find a house recently, and they go from Grandview to Clintonville to Worthington, it's like, we can't afford anything. So if you're a current homeowner, that's a good thing because you're, you're gaining uh, home value. And when you want to sell, it's kind of a seller's market right now. Um, but a lot of people are getting shut out. And also, it's creating more of a divide uh, between neighborhoods here in Franklin County and Columbus, between neighborhoods that are doing very well and, uh, and others that, that aren't. Okay. And I'd like to add to that that as home values are going up, on the one hand, it is good for the sellers, but when they go to buy something else, the housing values have gone up. So you don't really make out unless you're moving to another city where the home values are less. Absolutely. Um, My husband and I moved back to the Columbus area about five years ago, and we've been amazed by how much uh, our house is valued at now. We joke, like, maybe we should go ahead and sell it, but then... Why, why would we? Because we're going to have to find a place and spend that much more just to find something. So I understand That's that. Right. 
Amy, the uh, affordable housing issue, it's more a crisis, I would imagine, for renters than for owners. Is that fair to say? I think it's both because if um, you want to buy and you're a first-time home buyer, prices are going up and it's hard to enter the market. Um, if you're a senior and you want to downsize again, prices are high, so you'll have a high um, mortgage payment. But you're right, it is a big issue for renters, and um, it's very difficult if you are lower moderate income to find rental um, apartments that are affordable. What, what realistically would you like to see done to help um, low-income affordability, Amy? So I think there's a couple things. Um, I think many people don't realize that only um, one-fourth of the people who need rental assistance actually receive it. So we have three-quarters of the people who are lower income who are paying their rent on their own, and that's why we have such an affordability problem. So nationally, many people are talking about the need to have more rental assistance. Um, that will help with the eviction issue that we're seeing here. I mean, Franklin County has the highest eviction rate in the state, and it's higher than um, the state of uh, the city of New York. Wow. So, you know, we really do have an eviction problem, and you can't solve it without people having more income. That's the, the bottom line. So either wages go up and or you provide rental subsidy. I think the other issue, though, when you talk about affordability is – the choices of where people could live. I mean, we are not building affordable rental apartments for families unless um, people are using low-income housing tax credits or other governmental tools, and there's not enough of them. And it's very difficult to locate um, affordable housing throughout the whole region. So now we have the um, related issues of people can't get to their jobs, and you can't solve that just by transportation. How do you address that, Amy? Uh, and what keeps the housing from being built in, in the areas where there might be the demand? Land costs, zoning issues, what, what are the key issues? Well, you've hit a couple of them. Um, I think governmental regulations are huge. Um, it's very difficult in any of the suburbs to build multifamily property for, um, for families. And... Um, Clearly, land costs are high. You've got the zoning regulations. Some cities are dealing with this, some regions, by having inclusionary zoning requirements so that all builders have to include a um, certain portion of their um, newly built units for lower income. Um, so there are tools like that that would be very helpful in our community. What, are there any communities around here doing that? Um, not here in central okay. Ohio. Okay. Do you think that the time will come, like on the coasts, where that's going to be necessary here? And if so, how soon is that going to be? It's interesting that I have heard some private developers talk about um, their support for requiring inclusion in their developments. Now, it doesn't work if only one does it on their own. It has to be universal. But what's happening is, um, you know, the dispatch has uh, this dividing line series that highlights the issues. And um, one of the results is that we have a very segregated housing pattern in our community. 
um, employers know it's better to have workers live closer to where um, their jobs are, but they can't build. So you've, um, you know, they can't build near those areas. So unless the government steps in and says uh, we are going to require it, so we'll have um, access for quality housing throughout the whole region at different price points, it won't happen. And I would, you know, I'm very hopeful that, you know, within the next five years, um, municipalities will begin doing this. Um, as our population increases, people need a place to live, and there's, you know, a lot more pressure. Do you see any appetite for municipalities to do this uh, when you look at some uh, zoning restrictions, especially you think in southern Delaware County where, you know, there's a huge demand for housing? Uh, it's hard to get the density uh, to create housing that's truly affordable. It, but it's also an issue that's decided on a local level. Do you see any appetite or any interest uh, among municipalities for changing that? From what I've heard, municipalities um, are beginning to understand that affordability is an issue. And so they're, they're looking at it and talking about it. The Mid-Ohio Regional Planning Commission is working with municipalities. I think that um, it will take people to come out and say, yes, we want this in our backyard, to enable the politicians to do what's needed. Um, without more density um, in the development, they can't afford, you know, builders cannot afford to build um, for lower, moderate-income households. So hopefully the builders will put the pressure on because they want to build, and they see, you know, there's only so much land, so we need more density. But a lot of the apartment buildings that are going up now, it seems like, are higher end, correct? They yeah. are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a, there's a line in the industry, no one mm -hmm. builds Class B apartments. Right. Uh, but at the same time... Um, <laughs> the more apartments you can build, no matter where they are or how much they cost, I would think, is going to drive down overall, uh, or at least help keep prices down overall because you're adding to supply. Uh, do you agree with that? I do agree with that, but right now what's being built are one and two bedrooms. Yeah, so right. that is not for families. Mm -hmm. yeah. And um, so zoning regulations and building regulations have to change to allow for families to be able to have um, the broad choice of where they live and the type of housing that they live in. A lot of those family-sized apartments are older, built in the 70s, 60s, things like that. Is the city staying on top uh, code-wise to make sure that these are safe to live in? Good question. Um, the, you know, the uh, tenants will not necessarily complain, file complaints, when they're in poor quality housing. They are afraid of um, the repercussions, getting evicted, can't, and then they can't find other housing. So the only way the city will know is if people complain. Um, the city did recently uh, file some actions, and again, the Columbus Dispatch did a great coverage on some landlords. Um, and I hope that the dispatch continues the investigations to put the pressure on the public sector to 
um, ensure that everybody has access to safe, decent, affordable housing. Um, so you mentioned the multifamily housing. That is a problem. There's also just older housing stock in our community that lower-income people are, are renting. They're single-family homes. Um, that is not necessarily good quality. And, you know, again, you've covered the lead in housing. Um, I haven't heard that anything um, is being done to significantly address this. The, like, the city is working on something. I know that when it comes to lead housing or lead paint in the, in the housing. Yeah. Good. Mm. And I hope it's broad enough scale because, mm. as you know, uh, you've discussed – We've got over um, 5,000 children at any given time who have um, elevated blood levels. And so then you wonder about the problems in the schools. Well, you've got kids who have issues. Absolutely. Amy, I know you've read uh, Matthew Desmond's book, uh, Evicted. It was a wonderful, wonderful book. Um, He talks about the importance of housing uh, in combating poverty and the importance of housing in lifting people up overall. I wonder if you could address that. It's not merely providing a roof over someone's head. Uh, Housing goes far beyond that. It does, and many studies have shown that housing is the platform for people to be able to succeed in their lives, and it needs to be affordable housing because otherwise people pay their rent and then, you know, they don't have enough income, child gets sick, and they can't pay their rent, so they get evicted. Um, and incomes are just not enough. So continually losing your home causes um, toxic stress. And we've, you know, um, Champion of Children did a report on that because it affects not just the adults but the children as well. And um, so we do need to address this issue. But I'll also say that along with high-quality housing, because that's what you know, um, he's talking about it's not just uh, the affordability piece, but it has to be healthy housing. And it's also healthy neighborhoods because, you know, when you have areas of um, concentrated poverty, it's hard for kids to learn. Um, you've got to have uh, the safety and deal with those issues so families can go out for walks. And um, a lot of research has shown that as Families have an opportunity to live throughout the region, and it helps everybody. It's good for kids to grow up and be part of a mixed-income neighborhood, and that would be not just income, but all the diversity that we have in our region should be um, accessible, both on um, racial and income uh, lines. Desmond's solution um, is a national housing voucher program that's far more uh, um, aggressive than it is now. Uh, um, Do you agree with that? I do agree with that. Um, And it needs to be for families, for seniors, for low-income adults. If you go to the um, homeless shelter, Um, at Van Buren, you will see people all different ages who are homeless, and we're not going to deal with this issue by providing more shelters or simply by, you know, providing one or two months of rental assistance because it's a long-term issue. And so it's access to um, a rental subsidy. What's interesting is that, um, as Matthew Desmond highlights in his book, 
we are providing housing assistance right now to um, vast majority of Americans, and it's to people who own their homes. Um, so they are receiving interest deduction, um, capital gains tax um, benefits, but that does not accrue to lower income people who are renting. And so if they just did some adjustments, not do away with the um, interest deduction, but modify it, and then intentionally used those proceeds to fund rental assistance, it would save money on a lot of, in a lot of ways and allow people to have the dignity of living in a quality apartment or home. Along the same lines, we subsidize, in a sense, uh, very high-income high uh, residences, especially downtown, uh, because there are tax breaks uh, granted uh, 100%. Um, would you, do you have any thoughts, I guess, on those tax breaks, the value of them, or would you like to see that money uh, diverted toward um, affordable housing? I think that the tax breaks should be tied to um, requiring um, mixed-income communities. And so if they're going to give them, and I'm glad that the city uh, had a study done because it's not needed to incentivize development in some areas. And in other areas, a, um, tax abatement isn't enough to create the incentives for the developers, the builders, to actually develop. So they need a lot of um, different tools in their toolkits. Um, so I don't. I would not agree that it's the best way to use the incentive is to say, okay, we're going to continue the segregated housing patterns we have. This is just where the wealthy live, and you know we'll give that money to another neighborhood. Um, we need to have two strategies in our community. One is called place-based, where we. Um, revitalize neighborhoods. The city is focusing on a couple of neighborhoods to do that, and that's important, but also to have people-based solutions where it give people access to, for example, the rental subsidy so that then they can choose and live anywhere they want in the community. Have you seen any other programs uh, that you're that intrigue you, that seem to be successful elsewhere. Um, I've seen some references to uh, allowing granny flats, for example, uh, or you, you mentioned inclusionary zoning, of course. Um, other programs, maybe market-based or otherwise, that um, intrigue you? The, um, let's see, being looser, I don't know if that's the right word, with the zoning regulations I think is a good thing. Um, whether it's granny flats, whether it's um, s tiny houses in a community and allowing a lot of changes to the zoning. Um, I've seen that for seniors. And, um, you know, we've got a growing senior population. And this is a real issue that they can't afford the house they're in, but they can't afford because of rising rents and rising home prices to move anywhere else. Um, but if there were tiny houses and they could move there, some people would like that. Um, the other thing that some communities are doing is um, requiring that landlords do accept Section 8 because, you know, in our community, uh, in the re all the communities in the region, don't require um, that Section 8 certificates be accepted. 
So that limits people's choices. And I think it's important that people have the opportunity to live throughout the region and not face basically discrimination because the source of their income. In your opinion, what community, whether it's Ohio or in the nation, is getting this right? Uh, Montgomery County in Maryland, they are doing a really good job. And um, they're focusing on this. They have inclusionary zoning. Um, they said it's, help, it's been good for the schools as people can live throughout the whole um, area. So I think they're getting it right. It's interesting watching what Austin is doing. So, you know, they are number one when you look at, uh, again, the Dividing Line series. Uh, our metro region was number two in um, income uh, segregation. Austin's number one. And in Austin, they just passed, um, uh, it's either a new law or um, resolution, to study affordable housing to do more. And they talked about being first. They don't want to be first anymore. And um, they act um, annually, or not annually, periodically pass a bond issue in the $60 million range to fund affordable housing. Um, Other communities are coming up with the funds to fund affordable housing and allow it to be used for this full range that we're talking about and approving housing developments throughout the region so that they deal with the segregation that they have. Okay. Now, I know we aren't in the same position as San Francisco, Seattle, those kind of places where people can barely afford to live anywhere. What are we headed that way? Are we? Are, is there a danger of us going in that direction? I wouldn't say we're in the danger of being like San Francisco. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't ask the question that way. Okay. Because in fact, affordability is local, right? Mm-hmm. And when you look at the number of people in our community that are paying more than half their income for housing, they can't live a decent life. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't matter how affordable it is, right? If it's not affordable to the people in the community based on the wages, based on the number of people that um, are not able to have um, an income because either they have disabilities or they um, are seniors and no longer in the workforce, but they didn't save or they lost their um, funds, you know, during the recession. There's a lot of reason that people end up... um, low income and not able to afford a decent place to live. And so when you ask the question that way, we have a real problem. Mm -hmm. And it's getting worse as our population increases, and we're not building to ensure that that all of these people have a decent place to live that they can afford. So I think we have a big issue here that needs to be addressed. I thank all of you for being here, Mark, Amy, Jim. Uh, don't forget that you can check out all of our stories and there are other, our other podcasts at cbusnext.com. You can give us feedback at hashtag cbusnext. You can email us at cbusnext at dispatch.com. Or you can also fill out our form on cbusnext.com. Next week, we will be talking about what um, the boomer generation is looking for in housing and what millennials are looking for in housing. And I want to give a special shout out to our producer, Patrick Flaherty, for doing all the wonderful work behind the scenes. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll talk to you next week. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left.
Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.